Welcome back to our study of 2 Kings. We will be in 2 Kings chapter 10 in this session. In our previous session, we saw Jehu anointed to be the king over Israel. We saw him kill the man who was the current king of Israel, as well as the man who was the current king of Judah. And we also saw Jehu execute judgment against Jezebel. Now in chapter 10, that judgment is going to continue. And uh, when we get to the end of this chapter, I'll have some things to say about how we should respond to or understand a chapter like this where some really um, hard things, in a sense, happen. Um, and we may not know how we should respond to them, how we should feel about them. But we're going to see toward the end of the chapter how God responds to what Jehu does. Uh, and then we'll also talk about how uh, we should respond, right? What we learn from what God says in his word about what's going on here. And so I encourage you to stay all the way to the end for that. All right, so let's jump in. Second Kings chapter 10 it says, Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, so Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers of the city, to the elders, and to the guardians of the sons of Ahab, saying, Now then, as soon as this letter comes to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots and horses, fortified cities also, and weapons, select the best and fittest of your master's sons, and set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Behold, the two kings could not stand before him. How then can we stand? So they're talking about the kings of Israel and Judah that Jehu's already killed. Verse 5, So he was over the palace, sorry, so he who was over the palace and he who was over the city, together with the elders and the guardians, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants, and we will do all that you tell us. We will not make anyone king. Do whatever is good in your eyes. Then he wrote to them a second letter, saying, If you are on my side, and if you are ready to obey me, take the heads of your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel tomorrow at this time. Now the king's sons, seventy persons, were with the great men of the city who were bringing them up. And as soon as the letter came to them, they took the king's sons, and slaughtered them, seventy persons, and put their heads in baskets, and sent, sent them to him at Jezreel. When the messenger came and told him they have brought the heads of the king's sons, he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until the morning. Okay, so let's stop right there. So um, Ahab's 70 sons, it's a lot of, lot of sons, right? 70 sons have just been beheaded and their heads brought to Jehu. Now, why is this happening? We need to remind ourselves why this is happening, why Jehu is doing this, and why this is happening to the sons of Ahab. All right, so first, let's go all the way back to the days of Ahab in 1 Kings 21, when God told Ahab this was going to come upon him and told him why. All right, so 1 Kings 21, this is verse 21 to 24. God said to Ahab this, Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male. So think about those 70 sons, right? Cut off every male from Ahab, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. 
Why? For the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. So God told Ahab this was going to happen. That his whole house was going to be destroyed. Right, That every male would be cut off from Ahab. right, And this is because of how Ahab provoked God to anger and how Ahab led Israel to sin. And that's going to be primarily because of his idolatry, right? Um, and then God told Jehu that Jehu was the one who was going to execute this judgment. Jehu was the one who was charged with making this happen. So in 1 Kings chapter 9, which we looked at last time, when um, Elisha sent one of the sons of the prophets to anoint Jehu, this is what the prophet told Jehu. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha the son of Ahijah. So the judgment on Jezebel has already been executed, but the judgment on the house of Ahab is being executed now. That's what just happened with all of Ahab's sons being put to death, being beheaded. All right, now, what can we say about this? What is happening, right? Verse 9, it says, Then in the morning when he went out, when Jehu went out, he stood and said to all the people, You are innocent. It was I who conspired against, uh, against my master and killed him. But who struck down all these? Know then that there shall fall to the earth nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he said by his servant Elijah. So Jehu is saying, this is God's word being fulfilled. This is God's judgment that was already pronounced against Ahab in the days of Elijah. It is now being executed. Right? This is God's word. Right? It even says at the end of verse 10, the Lord has done what he said. So ultimately, God is the one bringing about this judgment. Right? Verse 11, So Jehu struck down all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, all his great men and his close friends and his priests, until he left him none remaining. So there's no more of the house of Ahab in Jezreel at all. Then verse 12, Then he set out and went to Samaria. Now Samaria is the capital city of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. On the way, it says, When he was at Beth Eked uh, of the shepherds, Jehu met the relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and he said, Who are you? And they answered, We are relatives of Ahaziah, and we came down to visit the royal princes and the sons of the queen mother. He said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slaughtered them at the pit of Beth Eked, 42 persons, and he spared none of them. Now, what is going on here? Well, Ahaziah was also connected to Ahab. He was the son in law of Ahab. And so um, perhaps, right, that's why Jehu is also executing 
these relatives of Jehaziah. That seems to be the most likely reason. Right? Then verse 15. And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Okay, so note, note that. right? Jehu is saying, I want you to come with me, and I want you to see how zealous I am for the Lord. What I'm about to do, I'm doing this for God. So he had him ride in his chariot. And then verse 17, And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria, till he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. So all who belonged to the house of Ahab that were in Samaria, he wiped them out. And it says this was uh, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke through Elijah, which we read earlier. All right. Then verse 18, Then Jehu assembled all the people and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his worshipers, and all his priests. Let none be missing, for I have a great sacrifice to offer to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it with cunning in order to destroy the worshipers of Baal. So at first you might wonder, like, what is Jehu doing? Is Jehu actually going to end up worshiping Baal just like Ahab did, and that's why Ahab's being uh, destroyed, right, is for his idolatry. But no, Jehu is doing this, it says, cunningly, right? He, he's, this is a cunning plan. He's tricking them in order that he might destroy them. So he says, we're going to have a big sacrifice. Everybody needs to be there. If you're not there, you, it's punishable by death, right, to miss this event. Verse 20, and Jehu ordered, sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it, and Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshippers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. And they entered the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other. He said to him who was in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out the vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out the vestments for them. Then Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab the son of Rechab, and he said to the worshippers of Baal, Search and see that there is no servant of the Lord here among you, but only the worshippers of Baal. Then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. So that sounds to them, right, like he's making sure only the people who are really here to worship Baal are here, but he's actually making sure no worshippers of God are mixed in, that it's only the worshippers of Baal that are going to be there to be destroyed. All right, so middle of verse 24. Now Jehu had stationed 80 men outside and said, The man who allows any of those whom I give into your hands to escape shall forfeit his life. So as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and to the officers, Go in and strike them down, let not a man escape. So when they put them to the sword, the guard and the officers cast them out and went into the inner room of the house of Baal. And they brought out the pillar that was in the house of Baal and burned it. And they demolished the pillar of Baal and demolished the house of Baal and made it a latrine to this day. So they turned the, the house of Baal, right, the temple of Baal, into a toilet. That's basically what it says. Made it a latrine. And they destroyed all the worshippers of Baal that were gathered there. And so in that sense, this story is a lot like 
the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Because after God answered Elijah with fire and the prophets of Baal uh, did not get an answer from, from their God, from Baal, of course, what did Elijah do? He slaughtered the prophets of Baal. Also reminds us a bit of the story of Samson, right? Because uh, Samson had all the, uh, all, so many Philistines gathered in that place where he was brought in at the end of his life and he uh, leaned against the pillars and, and caused that uh, place to collapse, which I believe was the temple of Dagon. So similarly, it was a, a temple, a place of worship for a false god. And as he caused that building to collapse, uh, the people there died. The worshipers of Dagon were killed. So uh, you've echoes of the Samson story uh, here as well. So all those Baal worshipers are destroyed. Uh, so he's wiped out the house of Ahab, the sons of Ahab, you know, all these people connected to Ahab in, in more than one place. And now he's destroyed all these worshipers of Baal. That's a lot of death, a lot of execution, a lot of people being killed. Um, and as you read this story, you may think this doesn't feel quite the same as like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. That one feels like, yes, this is the right thing. But this feels a little bit darker. It feels a little bit harder. So what are we to make of this? Well, God tells us what he makes of it in verse 29, starting in verse 29. It says, thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. All right, so Jehu is not the same as Elijah. All right, Elijah did um, slaughter the prophets of Baal, but Elijah was also not involved in any kind of idolatry. Jehu, on the other hand, was still involved in some kind of idolatry, though he, um, you know, destroyed the worshipers of Baal. He didn't destroy the golden calf, or two golden calves actually, in um, was it Dan and and Bethel that uh, Jeroboam had set up at the beginning of the kingdom of Israel when Israel split off from Judah. So he didn't break off from idolatry completely. Also says in verse thirty, and the Lord said to Jehu. Because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. So what Jehu did in bringing judgment on the house of Ahab, that was right. It was right in the eyes of the Lord. God said that would happen. He had declared that would happen through the prophets. He commissioned Jehu to carry it out. And though it was gruesome, right, and though it is in a sense terrible, it was right. It was the judgment of God being carried out through Jehu. Then verse 31, But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. Which, again, is basically saying the same thing it said a few verses earlier, or a couple verses earlier, right, that um, Jehu was still tangled up in uh, the sins of Jeroboam, right, in that idolatry. So Jehu did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. God uh, granted him to have one of his sons on the throne for four generations. That's a significant um, thing that God gives to him. And so uh, Jehu 
did what he was supposed to do as far as dealing with Ahab uh, and with the prophets of Baal. Now, in just a moment, we're going to come back and talk about how we should process this, how we should understand this, why this was right. All right. Um, now, verse 32. Oh, and also, like, how should we think about it today? Like, should the same kind of thing happen today? No, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. All right, almost done. Verse 32. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. So now God is also um, uh, dealing with Israel, and he's, he's cutting off parts of the nation. Hazael, it says, defeated them. Remember, Hazael uh, is uh, the king of Syria. Hazael defeated them throughout the territory of Israel. From the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassites, from Aroer, which is by the valley of the Arnon, that is Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehu slept with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria, and Jehoahaz his son reigned in his place. The time that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. So, um, just want to note real quick here that um, Israel is beginning to lose territory. It's being taken by Syria. This is God's doing, right? Verse 32, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. And that is a lead up, right, to the exile that is going to come uh, not very long from now, not very many chapters from now, as a result of Israel's idolatry. Remember, we were just told Jehu didn't get rid of the two golden calves in Israel, right? So um, that's a significant issue that has not gone away. Um, and as a result, Israel is going to end up in exile not very long from now. Okay, now let's come back to what should we think about this from, our, from where we stand today? How do we understand uh, why Jehu did this and it was right? And also why Nobody should do this today because if they did, it would be wrong. All right, how does that work? All right, so here's a few things we need to remember. Number one, Israel was a nation that voluntarily entered into a covenant with God that required them to worship no other gods and to use no images in worship, right? So when Israel was brought out of Egypt at the Exodus and they came to Mount Sinai, uh, God gave them the opportunity right, to enter into a covenant with him and they said we will obey we'll do what you say and God gave them the Ten Commandments right there at Mount Sinai no other gods make no images to worship them right so that was something that Israel agreed to do as a nation and there is no modern parallel to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. This is not. That was a one-time unique situation, part of God's plan at that point in history. But there's no modern parallel to uh, Old Testament Israel, right? So because of that, no one should do today what Jehu did then because the time and the circumstances were different, right? Here, here's another part of that equation. Number two, in Israel, according to the law given to them by God, as a part of that special covenant that Israel had with God, the law said, stated, stipulated, that the penalty for idolatry was death. 
All right, so Exodus 22, verse 20, this is not long after the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, says, Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. That's what Jehu was doing. Jehu was carrying out the sentence given by God in the law for anyone in Israel who worshipped another god besides the Lord, besides Yahweh. Right, the third thing to remember, you might say, okay, well, so it was just and it was part of how things worked in that particular time and place and with that covenant God had with Israel. But, ah, man, it still seems really harsh. Well, third thing is, don't forget how extremely patient God was with his people. Right? Going through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we've seen all kinds of sin committed by God's people, and especially since the death of Solomon, things have been bad in Israel. There's been idolatry in Israel from the very beginning, from Jeroboam, the first king, setting up those two golden calves on forward, right? In the days of Ahab with Baal worship, Jezebel, all that. There's been all this idolatry, all this rebellion. God has been patient. God has sent prophets, Elijah and Elisha in particular. Um, he has warned them. He has rebuked them. Right? He has reminded them of the truth, and eventually, judgment comes. Right? Judgment came on the prophets of Baal in Elijah's day. Judgment uh, has come now on Ahab's house and on Jezebel and on the worshipers of Baal uh, during the time of Jehu. So, God was patient. Right? God gave them time, and God uh, gave them prophets that they did not listen to. Okay, so that, that's, all that is part of why what happened with Jehu was right. That we saw that's what God said, right? Because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes, verse 30, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart. Right, so Jehu was supposed to do that. Jehu was commissioned to do that, as we saw. Why is that not what we're supposed to do today? Well, there are probably lots of uh, ways we could answer that question. Let me just um, point to a, a, a couple, right? Um, one is the example that we have in the New Testament of how we are to respond to idolaters. Remember that we are not part of the Old Testament nation of Israel in covenant with God under the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law and all that. that there's no modern parallel to that. So we're not in that circumstance. Okay, so how are we supposed to respond when we encounter idolatry? Well, here's how Paul responded on more than one occasion in the Old Testament. The, the most famous and uh, most memorable perhaps is in Acts 17 when he goes to Athens and speaks at Mars Hill and that's where he sees that the city is filled with idols and there's even an altar to an unknown God, right? What does Paul do? Does he pull out a sword and start killing people for their idolatry? No, he reasons with them, he preaches to them, he reasons with them about God, he explains, he says, okay, you got an altar to an unknown God? Let me tell you about that God. Let me tell you about the true God who doesn't live in temples made by human hands. He's not served by man. He doesn't need anything from us. He created everything, right? And then he eventually makes his way um, to Jesus and the resurrection and, and the judgment to come, right? Um, uh, 
you know, and you can look at Acts 14 and probably other places as well. Uh, Paul doesn't deal with idolatry with a sword like Jehu does. Paul preaches the gospel. And then what happens? First Thessalonians 1, Paul talks about how the Thessalonians, they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Why? They heard the preaching of the gospel. And God saved them. God changed them. Their hearts were changed. And so they turned away from idolatry. That's how we combat idolatry, if you want to use, you know, combat language, right? That's how we respond to it, is with the truth, with the preaching of the gospel, persuading people about the true God, telling them about Jesus, calling them to repentance and faith, not with the sword. It's still true that the wages of sin is death, and idolatry is a sin, right? But God executes that judgment, and He doesn't do it through our swords, right? Like He did in the Old Testament. That's no longer what we are called to do. Uh, we are called to love our enemies, pray for those even who persecute us. Right? We are called to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? We don't uh, respond in the same way as uh, what we see in the Old Testament, especially inside the nation of Israel that's under a covenant and a set of laws that we are not a part of and we are not under, right? We are under the new covenant, right? That was sealed by the blood of Jesus through his death on the cross, right? We uh, follow Christ who laid down his life for his enemies. And we are commissioned to preach the gospel to the whole world, to people who've never even heard of Jesus, people who've never even heard sometimes of the God of the Bible. And so the circumstances are different and our response is supposed to be different. The problem is the same. People's hearts are wicked and turned away from God and they deserve God's judgment. But we have good news to share with them. We don't bring them judgment, though that will come if they don't repent. Instead, we bring them the gospel. We bring them the good news of Jesus. We bring them the truth about God that they might have a chance to repent and believe as we had. And we hope that God will save them and turn them back to him so that they might escape his judgment and receive his salvation. Amen.